Hey, this is Andrew Kuhn, and you're listening to the Focus Compounding Podcast, the podcast where Jeff and I talk about actionable stock ideas, timeless investing concepts, and the overall way that we think about investing at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Go to focuscompounding.com and enter in your email to get a free watch list from Jeff every other week. And be sure to check out all of our other work where Jeff writes about stocks at focuscompounding.com. I upload how-to investing videos on YouTube, and we both manage capital for investors at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe to follow along. Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn, sitting next to Jeff Gannon on the number one value investing podcast in the world, soon to be the number one YouTube channel in the world as well for value <laughs> investing. <laughs> How's it going, Jeff? It's going very well, Andrew. How's it going with you? It is going great. Uh, we hope it's going great for everybody else as well. Hey, if this is the first time that you're tuning in with us, help us get to being the actu- actually the number one value investing YouTube channel in the world. And you could do that by hitting that subscribe button, thumbs this video up, leave us a comment. I respond to pretty much every single comment. Uh, so leave us any comment that you may have that helps uh, hack the YouTube algorithm. We are trying to do that. If this is the first time you're also tuning in with us and you want to get access to all of our other work, the probably best place to keep up with us and what we're doing is my Twitter, at Focused Compound. If you're watching on the screen, this is FocusedCompounding.com. Feel free to go there to get some uh, premium access research reports on stocks by Jeff and other members. You could join the Gannon Gazette for free uh, right here. Some people have emailed me asking if they're on the email list. You probably are. We just haven't really sent out one uh, recently, uh, but you could do that and you could join by t- entering in your email. We're wearing the same exact outfit as you can see on the latest podcast, which is kind of funny, um, but go to focuscompound.com and if you do sign up, use the podcast promo code, which is podcast, and that will take the subscription price from $60 a month down to $50 a month indefinitely as long as you do stay a member. So one of the most interactive or most engaged uh, episodes that we have is always something to deal with the financial statements, uh, how to read a cash flow statement, uh, what is free cash flow, stuff like that. So in today's podcast, we're going to be going over the balance sheet. Uh, we uh, did how to read a cash flow statement um, last week, so be sure to check that video out if you have not already. Uh, but we're going to be going over the balance sheet. And for people listening on the podcast side, things we're going to talk out loud to hopefully make it interactive for you as well. Um, I have, this is Chipotle's, one of my favorite QSRs. I probably eat there four to five. It is. Yeah, it is. It is my favorite. I eat there probably four to five times a week. (laughs) Pick a road trip together. It's definitely your favorite. Yeah. Well, because (laughs) it's cheap, right? Uh Nine bucks. I think I usually pay like eight something. If I, you know, feeling, if I need some extra protein, I'm going to do double meat. Right. And then it's like, I don't know, 10 to 12 bucks. It's cheap. The quality is good. It's quick. I think the actual um, money to calorie ratio is like the best because you can get a burrito for like a thousand calories and Mm -hmm. it's like eight, you know, $8 or $9 or whatever it is. And it's, it's good food. I love it. I don't understand why they still don't do breakfast there yet. Like change the meat for like eggs or something. And then, you know, make like breakfast burrito. Should we, should we start our own breakfast (laughs) burrito thing? Oh my God. We just came up with an idea. No, just kidding. Um, but, uh, so Chipotle, mm-hmm. everyone and listening is familiar with it. It's great. Um, Jeff does not like it that much. Um, <laughs> and this is their balance sheet. So okay. let's go over it line by line. And then if we want to pull up a different one, we can. Don't, I don't like eating there. Don't, no, this isn't a comment. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. He doesn't yeah. like eating there. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So, uh, obviously a balance sheet is a snapshot in time. Income statement cash flow was over the period. So if mm-hmm. they release it. Know, yesterday, this balance sheet is snapshot time. And if anyone knows how to turn this interactive stuff off on the SEC.gov website, please let me know because this is just, I 
complain about it and I don't like it. Okay. Um, so current assets, first line, yes. right? So what's the first thing that sticks out to you, right? You immediately, I know you, in your head, you probably look at like the total current assets and then compare that to mm-hmm. the total liabilities right. and to see if they cover, like if the total current assets can cover the liabilities and all sorts of things like that, right? Right. And in this case, they're not going to remotely because they probably have a lot of leases. Let's see if that's true. Long-term operating lease liabilities are really big, right? Yeah, $2.6 billion. So that's their issue. So they basically have to cover their rent all the time. That's the really big deal that we can see here. So actually, they're, they're using that, which is now how we account for things uh, under GAAP. Um, they're going to end up with very high liabilities, right? So mm-hmm. their actual liability amount is way, way higher than total current assets. So their liquidity position is poor from that perspective. So their total current assets are like, uh, a billion or something like that and their total liabilities are like 3.4 billion let's say so three and a half times more um, would be really bad except those total liabilities are mostly in the form of these long term leases which we'll read about and so it much, might be much safer if however those leases were like the landlord could tell them that they have to pay all of it today yeah. then there would be an unsafe stock and so you wouldn't want that so if it was um, those were where the liabilities were from but they're not we know that they're from these long term leases so it's a different situation so we're just going to be very aware of the fact that that's the big financial risk here. And it is a very big risk. If a restaurant's going to fail or something or a retailer or something, it's going to be because of these leases. Mm-hmm. Right? Sure. Um, okay. So current assets. Right? Okay. So current assets, they have a lot of cash and they also have a lot of investments, right? Yep. So they're probably going, we'll read about the investments later, but they're probably going to be a situation where they're, um, ha- are overcapitalized. They just have a lot of cash, right? Mm-hmm. So if we take cash and investments together, let's assume that investments are some sort of cash, you know, equivalent. So for people listening, cash is 480 million mm-hmm. and in investments it's 400 million. So call it 880 million. Right. So it's very close to 900 million. So they also have an item called restricted cash, which we'll get, a lot of people don't like to count, but it's still basically cash. Usually you'd have to read about what the restriction is and stuff and if it matters, but you'd also throw that in. It's 900 million. So you take 900 million. That's very big. Now we can compare that to total current liabilities. So one way is just taking like the cash type things, comparing it to that. That's very good. Their total current liabilities are not high at all. So actually this company seemed at first when we looked at it to have a very bad balance sheet. Mm-hmm. It actually has a very strong solvency position for this year. The issue is, as we'll see, you see this item called operating lease assets, which is huge. Yeah. And you see this other item called uh, long-term operating lease liabilities, yeah. also huge and basically offsetting. And so um, operating lease assets is $2.5 billion mm-hmm. and long-term op- operating lease liabilities is $2.6 billion. Right. So everything about what we talk about, about how safe or whatever this stock is, is going to break down to how they can cover their rent over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. We can tell from this that it's such a small number in terms of the um, uh, current liabilities, right? So if we look, their current operating lease liabilities are what here? Um, current operating lease liabilities, what is that? My eyes, 173 million. 173 million. And what's long-term operating lease liabilities? Uh, long-term operating lease liabilities, 2.6 billion. Right. So let's call that, let's say 2.6. Let's just round it down to be kind to them. We'll round the other number up to two. That's, uh, if we could put 200 million into 2.6 billion, let's say, that would be 13 times. Mm-hmm. So we'd really be asking, wait, does that mean that their average location is leased for another 13 years on average? That's very long. It's fine. I mean, supermarkets do it and stuff, but that would be incredibly long. For like so a QSR? It, yeah. yeah. So it would mean that they've, they've, they don't own these locations and they're committed to keep them for a very long time. If something happens to the Chipotle chain where it's not popular or something, they're going to be stuck in a way that's going to almost guarantee colossal failure. Yeah. So what'll happen is, it, as the concept works, it'll 
produce a lot of free cash flow, all those sorts of things. But then if it declines or something, it's just going to end with the stock going to zero. Mm-hmm. So that's the kind of thing that you have when you have these very high leases, this kind of leverage that you have. Now, you know, in previous years, we wouldn't have seen this. Mm-hmm. You would have had to read about it in the footnotes because if you look in 2018, they accounted for this under the previous method. Yeah, because there's nothing there. There's nothing there. And so their, to- their balance sheet went, if we take total liabilities and shareholders' equity together, so that's the very bottom line in a um, balance sheet. Yep. That will work out to be the same as total assets. Uh, it's an accounting identity thing. It's one of the first things they teach you in accounting. Um, so you'll always notice that the total assets and the total liabilities and shareholders' equity have to equal mm-hmm. each other if the balance sheet is balanced. Balanced, yeah. Uh, so that went from two point something billion. Two point right? two billion. Two point two billion to five point five billion. Yep. So it almost doubled. And so that basically is all the off balance sheet commitments they made before are now being brought onto the balance sheet because of a change in the accounting uh, of leases. So mm-hmm. That was always the big thing with Chipotle is that they always had this. Um, it, that's what allows them to have very high returns on assets too. Of course, it changes things because now it's going to affect their return on capital and things like that that screens have because it's going to show them going down from what they had before. So that's one of the ways we would use the balance sheet is to figure out like how much they actually have invested in the business. So mm-hmm. let's use that. So the actual investment in the business generally is going to be your accounts receivable, yep. your inventory, and then your PP&E. So the tangible... Uh, where are we at here? PPE. We'll, yeah. We'll so yep. PPE for them is basically leasehold improvements. Uh-huh. Uh, it costs quite a bit to like turn a, a location over to looking the way Chipotle wants it to look, mm-hmm. um, because they have a specific thing that they do. So kind of like Cheesecake Factory. So they make some significant um, leasehold improvements, uh, and so that is the other big item there. So those three together, uh, accounts receivable and inventory are pretty small, right? Yeah. So They're it's you're like a hundred million, million right there, yeah. but it's like one point. Four billion in leasehold improvements, yeah. property plan Yeah. Yep. So one point four billion. So the item. Bef- so we add those up together. Let's say one point five billion is what it was. Um, can we find? Do you have the income statement? Yep. Yep. So let's just go to the income statement quickly, and then we see the income statement. Their total operating um, income, income from operations. Income from operations. Forty three right. million. So that would have been like they were getting a 30% or higher return just on the assets. Whereas if we go up again, we can see that there are liabilities that offset that. Mm -hmm. So the liabilities that offset, of course, are the accounts payable, the accrued payroll, which are both higher. There's also unearned revenue, I'm going to guess. We haven't seen it yet that that has something to do with gift cards because I don't know why else a a restaurant is producing that much unearned revenue. Um, And so if we add those things together, that's even higher. So that's offsetting. So the unearned revenue is a form of float. The payroll and benefits, they're paying people slower than they're um, both. So if we do this, accounts receivable net and accounts payable, you'll notice that accounts payable exceeds accounts receivable. Mm -hmm. So that means basically that the combination of those two things is a source of funds for them. It's uh, investors, owners of the stock, are not the people who are on the hook for this kind of money. They don't have to like use retained earnings from the business to finance growth. It's actually being financed from them paying um, their payables slower than they are collecting their receivables, basically. Um, and then inventory, not a big item for them. And we compare that to things like uh, accrued payroll and benefits. So you take those two together, accounts payable and accrued payroll and benefits, and combine it with uh, accounts receivable and inventory. And we see, so we'll just do the math right now. Accounts receivable and inventory were about... Uh, oh, 100 million. 100 million. Yeah. And then payable and payroll and benefits together are more like um, 240 million, something like that. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So 240 million is a lot bigger than 100 million. 
Plus, they have other sources of float like the unearned revenue. Mm-hmm. So the only thing that they were really invested in before was the leasehold improvements. So net, the leasehold improvements are maybe a billion or something, right? So mm-hmm. like you take that and you subtract everything else out. We didn't do the math here. But I'd say that probably on like a magic formula type basis, we're talking maybe they had a billion dollars invested on average in 2018, 2019. Well, they earned, what did we say, in operation? Uh, 440 million, right? Right. 443 so million. Right. So we're talking about like pre-tax returns on capital of like 40% or higher, Yeah, right? exceptional. Mm-hmm. Yes. But then let's do it with the math of taking the off-balance sheet stuff onto the balance sheet. And this will really show us something about how um, restaurants in general work, but especially something like what Chipotle is doing. So now we have an item of $2.6 billion mm-hmm. plus the short-term stuff of another $173 million or something. So we're up to like you know, two, that's actually close to 2.9 mm-hmm. billion. Um, so we're having a number that when we add that in, let's say instead of being a billion that they're earning it on the capital that they're using, they're actually using closer to like 4 billion in, uh, and then the operating income was what? 443 million. Right. So it takes it from being a 30, 40% pre-tax like return 10. to like 10. Yeah. So it shows you that the way in which Chipotle and businesses like this succeed is that someone's willing to lease them, the space and earn a lower return. Mm-hmm. We know kind of by doing this math here, the way the economics work, that the landlord has to be making a lot lower return and Chipotle has to be capturing that leverage. That basically Chipotle is taking the risk that this doesn't work out well. The landlord's getting a guaranteed return and then us as the investor in Chipotle is taking a, a risk on the fact of like how much we're covering rent by. Which makes sense, by the way. If they're doing longer term leases, typically mm-hmm. that's what happens. Should we go, do you want to go down to like the lease? Is one minute I do, but first let's notes. go to the income statement. Okay. Okay. So the income statement is not actually part of the um, uh, balance sheet, but it's helpful here if we look at occupancy. Mm-hmm. So we go to um, the restaurant operating costs under occupancy. What does that number say? Three hundred sixty-three million. And that's the part that's kind of worrying if we want to do it. So okay. So what is that? So explain okay. that. Okay. So let's talk about. So occupancy is rent. Yeah. So they're paying three hundred sixty-seven million dollars in rent. Mm-hmm. Um. If we look at, let's do, um, let's let's get a calculator and do this so we can do the math here simply so I can show you the kind of leverage we're talking about here. Yeah. Okay. So we can um, figure out kind of the math of how this works. So their total operating income was, income from operations we'll start with, that's $443 million, and then we'll add back some stuff. So 443, just truncate the number, so don't do this stuff after the decimal. So yep. 443. Yep. Plus depreciation and amortization was 212 uh yeah, just for people so we'll watching, two hundred twelve. Add that million. back, so that's their EBITDA basically. Mm-hmm. They have pre-opening costs and impairment. Well, let's add the impairment of twenty three million, so plus twenty three, and then we're also going to add. Uh, that's it, and then we're going to add back the occupancy. So the occupancy was three hundred sixty three. We said yes. Okay. So- Plus three hundred sixty-three. Okay, so, billion. so they're covering rent three times basically. So take ten forty-one. That's EBITDA earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and rent, and then divide it by three sixty-three. Right, so two point eight seven yeah. times coverage. So and then um, if we just uh, reverse that, so let's go back to ten forty-one. Or actually, let's do it this way. So let's take ten forty-one minus three sixty-three. 1041 minus 363 equals and then divide by 1041. Whoops. Right, so 1041. <laughs> it's going to be like 67% or minus something. Minus 363. Yeah. Divided by 1041. 
65%. Yep. So their margin of safety basically is that they can decline by 65%. However, and still be able to cover their EBITDA can only decline by 65%. Mm-hmm. The issue that comes up, of course, is that their food, beverage, and packaging and their labor here um, is their significant. Look at the, well, yeah, these are their prime costs yeah. for a restaurant, right? Mm-hmm. So um, if we add those two together and see what that math works out to, let's take 1472. Oh, one, is it 1472? Yeah, uh, 1472. Do you want me to add oh, it yeah, to one, yeah. 1847 plus 1472. Okay. And then we divide that number by the top number of the revenue, which is 5586. Yeah. Yeah. It's a high number. That's mm-hmm. a very high number. So that's fifty nine percent. Yeah, and that's a higher number. They're a quick service restaurant. They're a fast food restaurant. So it's not unusual for them to have a higher number there than a um, restaurant where you'd be getting like full table service and stuff. Mm-hmm. But that's a higher number because that's sixty percent. So and the issue with Chipotle, of course, that I would wonder about is the economies of scale at the um, the location level that a drop in the revenue could cause a bigger drop in mm-hmm. the operating income. So it may be more leverage than we realize about that. But the coverage is much better than something like we looked at Buckle or something yeah. like GameStop. Yeah, right? yeah. So it has better coverage than that, but it's just an awareness of how much leverage they're using. So they're using a lot of leverage to take what's really, we said, EBITDAR of, what do we say, like a billion, yep. and turning that only into like 400-some million, 500 million in, in operations, mm-hmm. uh, in income from operations. So that's where we see all that from the balance sheet. Uh, we can now look at the notes of the balance sure. sheet. Sure. Yeah. Let's go down. Cash flow statement. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's start with restricted cash. Okay. All right. So here we are. We maintain certain cash balances restricted as to withdrawal or use. Restricted cash assets are primarily insurance-related restricted trust assets. Uh-huh. So we understand why they have the restricted cash. Um, I don't think it matters generally. So, I mean, restricted cash is not a big item. But generally, if you had restricted cash that's only restricted like that, then, you know, you could borrow and whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, You would have more borrowing ability because you have the cash. So I still think that generally restricted cash should be counted as cash unless it has unusual restrictions. Um, Cash and equivalence is the normal stuff that we would expect. The one I care about is... um, Look at that. Accounts receivable primarily consists of receivables from third-party gift card distributors. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> and from landlord. Tenant improvement receivables yep. from landlord. So landlords sometimes are giving them money. Then they have vendor rebates. It gives you some idea about that. They're getting a lot of things because of their size, probably. Um, inventory, uh, which is basically this uh, not concerning me because their their key ingredients are beef, pork, chicken, beans, those sorts of things. Are, um, they do mention that it's a small number of suppliers, which we know based on their business model. Chipotle mm-hmm. um, probably relies more on a smaller number of suppliers than most companies do because they have that stuff about like trying to um, uh, have more. Uh, uh, can you scroll up a little bit? A little bit more. So we look at uh, investments, yeah. Uh, because they want to like control the, whatever you want to call it, the food quality, the, um, uh, I mean, now they have safety things, but mm-hmm. in terms of the like using GMOs and stuff like that. Yeah. So um, they talk about investments and they don't get into much detail. No, they don't really have it. They had also no. have to find that later. Uh, if we scroll down some more. Even on the leases, they don't. Yeah. So the lease details are, Lease improvements and uh, leasehold improvements in buildings, they're depreciating over three to 20 years. Um, this is the estimated useful lives. Furniture and fixtures is four to seven years, and equipment is three to 10 years. Those are pretty normal. Okay, so they talk about the details of the leases. Why don't we read some of that? Because this would be the key thing. Um, what part do you want me to read? I would say, let's see. So they have, so our leases generally have remaining terms of how many years? 
um, of one to 20 years. Do they have an option to extend? I said most include options to extend the leases for additional five-year periods. It doesn't say whether... Um, Our leases generally have remaining terms of one to 20 years, and most include options to extend the leases for additional five-year periods generally. Oh, this stupid pop-up box. Generally, the lease term is the minimum of the non-cancelable period of the lease or the lease term inclusive of reasonably certain renewal periods up to a term of 20 years. Hmm. Okay. So uh, that doesn't give as much detail as we might like because it doesn't no. say how many five-year periods they have. I don't understand that, but that's kind okay. of surprising me because it's such a big part, obviously, of their business that they don't break it unless we're just... Yeah. Um, so the, because what will often happen is so like when you have a, you often will have a company that will say something like, let's say a supermarket or something will say that we generally have, uh, leases are generally 40 years. Uh, originally our leases generally have X amount remaining on them. They generally include two or three or four, or however many, mm-hmm. um, options that we can extend it in the, you know, those are just options that we have and the landlord doesn't have an option. Um, so let's see, let's move down there. They go into the county detail, but the parts that were interesting to me is, um, so the non-cancelable part is probably means that they'd have to pay a lot from my understanding of reading that sentence. That would mean that everything that isn't the option would have to be paid. So their obligation that they're saying that they have is the entire period. Um, so if they signed a 20 year lease, then presumably they have to pay for 20 years if they canceled it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have uh, rent escalators. So leases typically contain our leases typically contain rent escalations over the lease term. Um, and then they have rent escalations that can be based on inflation indexes, fair market value adjustments, which is also um, you know, so they basically might have to pay increasing um, mm-hmm. rent if the uh, the market rate of rent basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Um, the last thing is that, uh, they put a little bit where they say that the lease agreements do not contain any material residual value guarantees or anything like that. Okay. Which is good. Or restrictive covenants. Um, one thing that was interesting is the insurance thing. So we should go back there because their restricted cash is related to insurance. So that was an unusual thing to see such a big item for a company. Mm-hmm. Um, it says we are self-insured for a significant portion of our employee health benefit program and carry significant retentions for risk and associated liabilities with respect to workers' compensation, general liability, property and auto damage, employment practices, liability, cyber liability, and directors and officers' liability. Yeah. Um, And then reserve contingencies for litigation. We are involved in various claims and legal actions that arise in the ordinary course of business. We record an an accrual for legal contingencies when we determine that when it's probable that we'll have incurred a liability and we can reasonably estimate the amount of the lost. Okay. Loss. And then if we keep going down, revenue recognition, so gift cards. Mm Mm-hmm. Says we sell gift cards, which do not have expiration dates, and we do not deduct non-usage fees from outstanding gift card balances. Gift card balances are initially recorded as unearned revenue, which is what you said, which was like what ninety million, I think you said. Mm -hmm. Um, We recognize unearned, we recognize revenue from gift cards when the gift card is redeemed by the customer. Okay, but what was the date of the balance sheet? Uh, It was recent, right? What was it? There you go. 
Oh, is that good enough? Nope. Uh, sorry. Okay. Yes, yeah, 2000. Right. December here's the 31st, problem. 2019. Yes. So here's the problem that I see. We're using the gift card balance as of December 31st. Uh huh. When do you think the gift card is most likely to have been given to someone and not have been redeemed? Yeah, yet? December 31st, yeah. Christmas. So yeah. That's the problem with the balance sheet that way. So you have to look at each of the quarters and stuff like that. Give me a Chipotle gift card. That'll <laughs> yeah. make me happy. Okay. Best gift for Andy. Put that on my stocking. <laughs> All right. So um, if we keep if we keep going down on the footnotes to the balance sheet. Um, Footnotes to all the accounts. Uh, we have gift cards, so we can move past that. Chipotle Rewards is the other one that I was interested in. Um, Says during the first quarter of 2019, we launched Chipotle Rewards nationally. Eligible customers who enroll in the program generally earn points for every dollar spent. After accumulating a certain number of points, the customer earns a reward that can be redeemed for a free entree. I got to get up on that. Mm-hmm. So it just says they defer revenue associated with the estimated standalone selling price of points or bonus vouchers earned by customers as each point or bonus voucher is earned. Yeah, this one's been interesting to me. I would want to know more about the rewards thing, and you can get some from the footnotes here. Um, It seems like a very bad rewards program. Why do you say that? Well, for instance, it has weird things in it, like the points generally expire if the account is inactive for a period of six months. So it's just interesting. I wonder how serious they are about the rewards thing, whether it's a test of things and that eventually they'll improve it. It's not not competitive with, like, you know, say, um, uh, what is it, Bloomin' Brands and stuff, like Outback and things Mm. like that that do reward programs. So... Um, they may feel that they don't need it and stuff, but I just, I've always been interested in that because if we read the entire thing there, um, so it says eligible customers enroll in the program generally earn points for every dollar spent after accumulating a certain number of points, they earn a reward that can be redeemed for a free entree. So, um, they also have the promotions that they talk about there, um, the earned so this is the part that's really weird to me. If we read the last sentence, right? Yeah. Earned rewards generally expire one to two months after they are issued, and points generally expire if an account is inactive for a period of six months. Yeah, that's weird. So they must obviously be wanting to have very regular business and not caring about anything that's longer term like that. But it just seems like an unnecessary way to annoy um, potential customers or people <laughs> who were your customers by having things expire. I don't know if you actually go there and try to redeem and stuff. It'll that they'll let you redeem it. Yeah. You know what I mean? But that is a sort of weird thing for a customer service thing to be that restrictive. So I've always wondered about that um so let's see so the oh this adjustments is very complicated for the yeah. Lease, yeah yeah so this has to do with an accounting change that was made um if we scroll down from here let's see if we have any um yeah so here we go so supplemental balance sheet information so this stuff is things that technically i guess you could say isn't the balance sheet but you have to read this to understand the balance sheet so this gives us detailed of what leasehold improvements break down into as you can see if you didn't this is all stuff that like it's good that we're doing chipotle mm-hmm. because some people might have visuals of an idea of it yeah, yeah, yeah but this can tell you these things don't stand alone they don't own the land underneath them at all they have very high leasehold improvements in buildings so these are things if you didn't know you'd be like wait are they in malls what are they in there yeah. something like that obviously something's going on there um and then they have things like the accumulated depreciation which is always an important one to look at here the stocks trade so far above like book value and things like that that those that stuff doesn't matter but obviously something with a ton of accumulated depreciation is interesting because they may have over depreciated mm-hmm. over time yeah if we go down to revenue recognition they talk about the gift card liability right um and then uh, okay and then revenue recognized from gift card liability balance at the beginning of the year and then if we go to chipotle rewards which is also a nice breakdown of it they give information on that with the revenue deferred and the revenue recognized. So just so people understand the revenue deferred and recognized thing, deferred revenue is basically money that you're collecting, um, but you're not uh, accounting for it as if you've actually earned the Mm -hmm. money, whereas the revenue being recognized later 
isn't helpful in the sense of cash that you're, you know, at that point it's not useful. So if people are focused on earnings per share or something investors, then they might be care about when the revenue is recognized. However, more of people like us, people who are more focused on the cash flow and stuff are going to care more about re- deferred revenue as a source of float. Mm-hmm. So, um, then they talk about the fair value of the financial instruments. So they talk about their investments consist of U S maturities, uh, U S treasuries with maturities of up to one year. So it's cash. Mm-hmm. So I'll just count as cash. Um, this is interesting. They have restaurant closure costs, right? And things like that. So, uh, if we, let's see if we can find any more lease details. So if you want to scroll down or if you could see anything that gives more information about leases, that's the one thing that we really want to find, um, details on. There's gonna be so many leases. Um, I'm surprised that they didn't have like some sort of yeah so often companies will have a lot of detail here here's the contractual obligations yeah Mm -hmm. so their operating leases are what matters they also have large purchase obligations it's interesting to note so um those are very very large purchase obligations for um a company uh which probably means that they're using a small number of vendors and guaranteeing them they'll buy a certain portion Mm -hmm. of stuff think places like mcdonald's and stuff will do that too so if you notice their purchase obligations mean that in 2020 they're promising to buy like 600 million dollars worth of stuff yeah and then they're even promising to buy some out into 2021 2022 so that's kind of like points right (laughs) yeah so it has to do with like economies of scale and stuff like that probably by promising to buy that much because they're got to be one of the biggest buyers of all those Mm -hmm. sorts of things so anyway the operating leases uh we can see the payments due and see that a ton of it is the thereafter period. So 2.5 billion. Yep, 2.5 billion is after 2024. Yeah, so that's longer term than five for years. Sure. Yeah. So you can get that information, even though they didn't tell us. They just said like what that is one to 20 years or yeah. something. Mm-hmm. You can tell that. So we could just do the math quickly there. So 2.5, and then we divide that by the total amount, which is how much? 4.1. 4.1. Then we have 61% being of it is due and after five years, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so you only have about 40, uh, what is it, 39% due in shorter than five mm-hmm. years. So one thing we could do is we could just take five and divide by 0.39. Oops, five divided by 0.39. Which is what I was saying before. If you remember before I said, like, do they really have about an average of 13 years? Again, we're yeah. getting a number that says it's an average of about 13 years. Mm-hmm. So that may mean that they keep opening places because they said our initial terms are one to 20 years. Yeah. And they don't count usually the option. Now, they said that they might count the option cases where it's reasonably certain that they'll exercise the option, which I assume means it has to be closer to the date that they would use it. But what that means is they are basically borrowing the location. Um, that's what you're doing when you're renting a place for assigning a lease to it for 13 years um, on average left on it. You know, So that's mm-hmm. a major obligation. So you know, as we said with the balance sheet, the things that I would care about with Chipotle right, are their huge amount of cash mm-hmm. and their investments. And then I compare that to the, um, the obligations that they have in the term of these leases, which were off balance sheet stuff before and are now on balance sheet. And so people have to kind of decide how they think it should be um, how you should value things. So like, for instance, I guess the big question people would have with something like Chipotle, right, is are they earning like 10 to 20% or whatever yeah. returns? Or is it 30%? Or are they earning like, you know, 30, 40. And, and what would you say percent? that is? Um, I think for shareholders, the reality is they're earning the bigger number. Mm-hmm. But they're doing it in a way that means that they're, if the chain is not successful and so at some point, there's not going to be any... Um, residual value in all the stuff because they have these leases mm. it's the thing of boy we talk about like gamestop or something but gamestop has all these leases that can quickly they can quickly get yeah. out of them chipotle does it's longer so yeah. they need these locations so it's obviously very location based that way so as long as it's successful that way you as the shareholder aren't financing it who's financing it the landlord mm-hmm. 
So the landlord, I mean, the success of the Chipotle model is the landlord is really providing most of the capital in mm-hmm. the form of that place that they're renting out to them. And then you as the shareholder are benefiting from that, from the landlord's financing. Mm-hmm. But it's all about the landlord putting up the space at a price that allows Chipotle to make all this money. And like we saw, they're covering their rent almost three times, mm-hmm. right? So they have a pretty it's big a very solid, yeah. in their operating income, yeah. Mm-hmm. But companies do have operating income decline 60 or 70% sometimes. Yeah. And if that happened, then they wouldn't be covering their rent. So Chipotle, start to innovate a little bit. Make me a breakfast burrito. Okay. Make me a breakfast burrito. Well, I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with Jeff and myself on going over the balance sheet in today's podcast. If this is the first time you're tuning in, uh, rating and review really goes a long way for us. A comment, on whether it's on YouTube or on pod, or the podcast app in general, it just really goes a long way for us. I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with us here today. Check out all of our content. Go to focuscompounding.com. If you sign up for Jeff's stock research, use the podcast promo code, which is podcast, and follow me on Twitter at Focused Compound. Hit that subscribe button, follow along for future videos, and we will see you in the next podcast. Hey, this is Andrew Kuhn, and that was the Focus Compounding Podcast, the podcast where Jeff and I talk about actionable stock ideas, investing concepts, and the overall way that we think about investing at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Go to focuscompounding.com and enter in your email to get a free watch list from Jeff every other week. And be sure to check out all of our other work where Jeff writes about stocks at focuscompounding.com. I upload how-to investing videos on YouTube, and we both manage capital for investors at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe to follow along.